You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Amen. Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up or turn them on and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 as we focus on verses 6 through 11. Last week, how many of you, you were here last week, you showed up, you faced Snowmageddon just square on and said, I'm going out today. As we walked in that, last week we began a new series, and it's a series called Living a Generous Life. Living a Generous Life. And we looked at God's generosity and the generous gift that he's given us. And what has God given us? Grace. God has given us grace, how God has lavishly poured grace into our lives. And he's poured it into us so now that we can be givers of grace, allowing that grace to flow through us, transforming us, and transforming the lives of others. If you missed that, you can check out our podcast. And even at our podcast, whether it's online or at iTunes, it has our listening guide there so that you can download it and listen to it. And the good thing about a podcast, if you don't like something, you can just kind of fast forward a little bit, right? You can kind of keep going. So uh, I encourage you to check that out. This week, as we continue now, we're looking at, uh, at, at, at sermon number two, and we're looking at generous giving. But before I head into that, I want to start off by just welcoming our guests. Can we welcome our guests today? All of you that you're here, whether today is your first day or you've been here for a little bit while, a little while, we just want to say welcome guests. See, the word that we use for us who call Shoreline Community Church our home is we use the word family. We're family, aren't we? Brothers and sisters, just like we talked about earlier in the baby dedication, it is the family of God. That's the word that God uses to describe us, the body of Christ, the family. It is our job that when people come in, whether it's their first time or they haven't been here very long, we want to make sure that they feel welcome, don't we? I mean, after all, what do you do when a guest comes to your house? When you know that there's someone coming to your house, you're at that front door, and you're looking for them to come. You can't wait for them to get there. And then when they get to the door, you want to open the door, unless if it's like me, sometimes my dog barks, and i got to take care of it, so somebody else goes to open the door for them and pull them in, right? And as they come in, you say, hey, are you thirsty? Would you like a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or some water? You want to make sure that you're serving them. And then normally you have a meal or some snacks together and you hang out and you're serving them. And when they're done, what do you do with the dirty dishes? You take their dishes, right? Because they're your guest. You want to serve them. You pull the dishes away and then you wash the dishes. Do you ask a guest for the first time to start washing the dishes? No, not normally, right? Normally when a guest comes in, when the dishes are there, you take their dishes from them. You don't ask them to wash the dishes You don't do something really weird like, you know what, as I've calculated, I've been watching you, and here's all the food you ate, and here's the coffee you drank. It was really good coffee. And so here's a bill of what it costs, and here's kind of the water bill. You had some water earlier, and then you took took some electricity. We turned the heat on when you were here. So here's the bill for the time when you were here. And as our guest, we'd like for you to pay for that. (laughs) Have you ever done that? No. No. Because we don't treat guests that way. We say, come on in. This is a free. Do you want anything else? Can I give you more coffee? Are you still hungry? Because this is how we treat guests. The family takes care of that. What does a family do? It washes the dishes. Do mom or dad or just the aunt or the uncle or the caregiver, are they the only ones that wash the dishes? No, you involve all the kids. How many of you make your kids wash dishes? That's a very loving act. Did you know that? Do you ever ask other members of the family to vacuum the floor or to take out the trash? 
take out the paper and the, right? You got to take it out. Families does that. This is what family does. This is our responsibility. And this is what it means to be a part of God's family. Because see, when we follow Christ, we follow Christ in this way. We got to this place of service by following Jesus. Because Jesus said in Matthew, he said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Even Jesus, if anyone could have come and said, you need to serve me, right? Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve because he was modeling for us how we had to walk. And so today, we're going to be diving a little deeper into following Jesus as we follow his path of what it means to give. But I want to issue a little warning here for you because these are some deep, dangerous waters, aren't they? And when you look through Scripture, you often see that this is the point when people often walked away from Jesus sad. When you talk about serving, and when you talk about giving, you're hitting some deep waters. And if people walked away from Jesus sad, I'm sure a lot of people walk away from me sad, (laughs) no matter what jokes I tell, okay? But this is a serious family conversation that we have today. So if you're our guest, you are welcome, okay? You are welcome. We're glad you're here. Drink some more coffee. Go get a Starbucks card on us. But as a family, we need to know what it means to follow Jesus in this way. Because see, Jesus, he's calling us to move from just being a person in the crowd, just a person who's watching, to the core of discipleship. And when it comes to giving, and specifically money and possessions, do you know that about half of the parables that Jesus talked about dealt with money and possessions? About half of his parables. And in the Gospels, about one out of every ten verses dealt with money and possessions. That sounds like a tithe, doesn't it? A little bit. See, Jesus talked about it. He was serious about it because he knew this was a core thing. So I want to encourage you today just to open your hands and your heart to God. My prayer is that God let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. Because last week it was really easy for me to talk about grace. I can talk about grace all day and get very excited. But this, this can be difficult for us, can it? But I want to bring some air in the room. I want to acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit today and say, Jesus, speak to us. How many of you, you want to hear from the Lord? You want the Holy Spirit to be manifested in you. So, Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. Servants of the Most High God. Lord, help us to hear from you today. What you would say to us, what you would speak. Speak through me, not any of my words, but you, O oh God. Use us today. You're preparing us. You're challenging us. You're getting us ready to move forward in greater ways, to be people who give your grace, who share your love to this community and to the world. Now use us now and speak to us, we pray in your name. And everyone said together, amen, amen. amen. So here's our text today, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. 6 through 11, and here's what it says. It says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need. And plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever, forever. 
For God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. You hear that? God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, what will they do? They will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Their thanks to God. So much in here. But I want to kind of just harvest in, using the farming analogy, just three things I want to look at today. As we look at generosity, the first thing that we need to do is to get a right perspective. Everyone say right perspective. Because you got to see it, right? you got to see what's going on. And then secondly, the second thing that we need to do is we need to have a right response. Everyone say right response. Because we're not called just to be hearers of the word. We're called to be doers. Doers. So Lord, help us to see it. Help us to respond. And then we need to talk about the right place. Everyone say right place. In other words, where do we give? What does that look like? How do we walk in that? Right perspective, right response, right place. So let's begin by looking at the right perspective. See, giving, it begins with, ha- with having a right perspective. And where Jesus always brings us to is he brings us to having a right perspective on ownership. Because see, ownership, it explains the responsibility. When we know who the owner is, we know where the responsibility lies. See, when something of great value is, is found, when you find something, the righteous response is not to grab it and run, Right? The right response is to go, huh, who owns this? I was out for a run one time, and I saw 10 bucks on the ground. I bent over and picked it up, and I went, anybody own this? No? Okay. I asked around. I think I put it on Facebook. Nobody claimed it, so. Well, I had some opportunist friends, but apart from that. But when we find something, like if you find something today, you want to pick it up and go, man, who owns this? I want to find out who the owner is. Because see, until the ownership is settled, there's no possession. It's just sitting out there. And often, it will just sit in a lost and found bin. Now, what happens to something that sits in a lost and found bin? If you take an apple and you put it in a lost and found bin, what's going to happen to it over time? It's going to rot. This beautiful gala apple, one of my favorite varieties, will just rot. And it'll go from being something delicious to something that is rotten and actually starts to rot things around it. See, sitting in the lost bin, it prevents it from being used. And I think as we think about that, for so many of us, the issue of ownership hasn't been settled. And so often even our lives or those that we love or people around us, they're essentially sitting in this lost and found bin. The ownership has not been settled, and the resources or the opportunity or a life is just drifting away from them because they're separated from the owner. The purpose is found in being connected and being found by the owner. Or sometimes someone has stolen us from the bin. Have you ever seen that? Where the ownership has not been settled, someone's been found in a lost and found bin, and someone has come in and deceitfully said, that's mine, and they've taken it, and then they've misused it, or they've abused it for their own purpose. See, this is why Jesus was so clear in settling the question of ownership. When they asked Jesus... Who do we belong to? Who do we belong to? We belong to God. And how do we know this? We know this from looking at Matthew 22, when the Pharisees went to Jesus, and they tried to trick him. 
They tried to lead him down a path, and they said, all right, Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Should we pay taxes to Caesar? How many of you enjoy paying taxes? And in that time especially, it was a very corrupt taxation system. Now, I enjoy riding the roads that are out there. I enjoyed when someone plows the road. I enjoy the snow that comes that needs the plow as well. I enjoy our first responders that we have, that these things provide. But in this day, the taxes were being used for deceitful purpose, being overtaxed, being taxed on the tax. And so they thought they were cheating him because they knew if Jesus said, yeah, it's good to pay taxes, that there would be this whole crew of people upset with them. But Jesus looked at it, and he picked up the coin. And he said, whose image is on this? Whose image is on this coin? He said, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin, whose likeness is on it. And then he followed it up by saying, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but to God the things that are God. What was Jesus saying in that? He was saying, yeah, this is Caesar's, but he's, he's looking at us and saying, whose image is on you? Whose image is on your life? Whose image are all of us made in? God's. Do you want to know what God looks like? Look around the room. Look around the room. Look at you and gay. You were made in the image of God. Say that. They might buy you lunch today if you say that, okay? We were all made in the image of God. We're all image bearers. Whatever color, whatever ethnicity, you know, hair down to your waist or hair falling away, wherever you are today, we were all made in the image of God. Isn't that comforting? Right? Beautiful masterpieces. And I could go on and on about that all day because that's easy to talk about because it's evident. But Jesus is saying, whose image? Because the image points to the owner. The image points to the owner. Who owns it? And I want us to catch what Jesus is saying to us because we need to never forget that we've been made in the image of God. So who is our owner? God. Who's our owner? God. God is our owner. We've been made in his image. And see, Paul is echoing this. Paul echoes this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, You're not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The whole earth, the whole Bible talks about this. It says in Psalms that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Psalms 24 says, every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. And when you look through, you see that God owns everything. But this is our struggle, isn't it? Our main struggle is with ownership. Because who wants to be the owner? I am, right? We all have that little, little Smeagol condition or Gollum condition. Everything's mine. Everything's mine. My precious. I own it. This is our challenge and everything. But here's the thing. I was not made to be an owner. You were not made to be an owner. What does God call us? He calls us stewards. He calls us stewards. He's entrusted things to us, but we are stewards of what he owns. And he's a generous God, but we are not the owners. See, we fail to recognize our inability to manage our lives without God. And that's called pride. It's why God opposes it. Have you ever tried to deal with somebody who battled with pride? How's that working for you? (laughs) Or have you ever been in a situation and someone looked at you and they revealed pride in your own life? I'm raising my own hand. How many of you have ever struggled with pride? 
Maybe you're not raising your hand now because you're too proud, okay? (laughs) We all at some point deal with pride, and sometimes we call it falsely humility. Oh, I'm just too humble. If you have to tell somebody how humble you are, there may be pride, right? We can start doing redneck jokes. You know your pride if. But the answer comes in God, and this is the key battle. See, everything in this world is out to own you. See, God owns us, but everything is after you. Marketing will go after you. The pride of life, the lust of life. They're out to own your thoughts. They're out to own your attention. They're out to own all of your resources and your very soul. And the main battle strategy is is this. It's been the same strategy throughout the ages. The strategy is to distract, divide, and conquer. Distract, divide, and conquer. Because if I can distract a group of people, then I can divide a group of people. And if I can divide a group of people, then you can conquer them. Because our strength is found in what? Being together, being the body of Christ. That's why we see in Hebrews to never neglect coming together. Our strength is found in being together, the body of Christ. This is who we are. This is who we're made to be. And one of the most common distraction techniques that is often used, and the Pharisees try to use this a lot with Jesus, is a technique called red herrings. How many of you have ever heard of red herrings? Okay. I grew up in a, uh, my uncles were all fishermen, so we ate a lot of herring growing up. I didn't like it. But that, that term red herring, do you know what that red herring term came from? It came from back in the day when people were being chased by bloodhounds. They discovered that bloodhounds love red herring. And if you've ever smelled herring, it's a very oily fish, and it has a very strong scent. So they would take the red herring, and they would put the scent down this false trail and then go the other way. And then the bloodhounds would come, chasing one person, and they would scent that there's red herring over here, and they would start going after them with great confidence, just going after. They're like, it's this way, it's this way. With great confidence, going down the wrong way. Have you ever found that to where with great confidence you've gone the wrong way, chasing this red herring? Had nothing to do with the issue, had nothing to do with what was going on, but it distracted you, got you off the right path, and now you're lost. How do I get back to this path? See, one of the big herrings that is often used as it relates to this issue with the body of Christ is you'll sometimes hear that God or the church is just after your money. Have you ever heard that? I've heard that all the time. That's why this is hard to talk about. You know, Pastor Duane, I want to bring my friend to church, but, you know, sometimes the church just talks about money. Are you going to talk about money? Today, I am. (laughs) This is your warning. (laughs) Because there's this persona out there that it's bad. Now, everywhere else I go, they talk about money. When I go to a coffee house, they talk about money. They say that'll be $3 or $4 or $5. When I buy... My greatest find at the Goodwill. How many good, Goodwill shoppers we have there? Thrift store shoppers, all right? Okay, so. But when they go there, it's a great deal, but they keep talking about money. It's a green tag, 40% off, but you got to pay the other 60%. So why can't we, as a body of believers, talk about it? See, it's a red herring, but here's the thing. Unlike businesses and all those things, We need to recognize God is not after your possessions. Does God need anything? God needs nothing. God has everything. 
Okay? Remember Jesus? He could take rocks and turn them to bread. Thank God I can't do that. My goodness. Right? I've eaten bread all the time. Jesus can create anything. God made everything. He already owns everything. He's not after your possessions. He's after your heart. And oftentimes it's our possessions and the things that we have that distract us from God when we don't recognize that we are made to be stewards, not owners of this. And this is why Jesus keeps bringing it back around. He keeps bringing it back to whose image is on you. You want to know the owner of your life? Whose image were you made in? Who were you made after? I'm not after your possessions. I'm after your heart. I'm after your soul. We bear God's image, and we represent God's image. And one of the challenges that we have is that when we are not connected to God, when we have not surrendered to God, when we have not given everything to him and recognized God as the owner, we must represent who Jesus is. Because when we are disconnected from the one who owns us, but try to behave like we are, we're misrepresenting. It's like a basketball player going out on the floor, but they never listen to the coach. Or they never go to the practices. What kind of a basketball player are they going to be? They're going to be a benched one. It's all about ownership, having a life that reflects that level of ownership in our life. See, God owns us. That's why 2 Corinthians 8 says that giving begins by giving ourselves to God. Here's what it says. It says, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. See, there's a cycle here. We give ourselves to God and then God uses us to give to others. That's how it works. We give ourselves to God. He's the owner. So the right perspective, God owns us. But this perspective, it leads us to respond because we're not just hearers of the word, we're doers of the word. Because see, our response, it reflects our view of God and ourselves. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. See, this is a big life lesson for us. One of the biggest life lessons that my mom told me was you, you only get out what you put into it. How many of you have heard that before? Okay, And one of my most memorable times did that was when I was going to church. This may be hard for you to believe, but I went to, uh, to church during a time when uh, there was no children's church or anything, but they brought kids in with everybody else. <gasps> okay, My church can tell a lot of stories about me. I knew every usher because they were watching me, okay? But I'll never forget, I looked up at my mom one time, and my mom was looking down, and she was singing and going for it and just praising God. She looked at me, I was doing nothing. And she was like, Dwayne, what's wrong? I said, Mom, I'm so bored. Hopefully no one said that to you today, okay? I'm bored, I'm so bored, Mom. And I thought Mom would like, you know, give me something to play with, or she was always popping certs in my mouth, keep me occupied and stuff like that. But here's what she looked at me, she said, well, Dwayne, You only get out of it what you put into it. If you're bored, it's your own fault. I'm not bored. You start singing. You start worshiping God. You start following along. You get the Bible and start reading and see what kind of experience you'll have. And she was right. 
If we're bored, it's our own fault. When we start pouring into it, you want it to be an exciting place, whether it's here or somebody else, you start inviting your friends. You start bringing them in. You start saying, how can I serve here? What can I do? Look for new people. Look for people who've been here a long time. They've been coming for decades and say, would would, would you consider mentoring me or helping me or encouraging me or show me how I can be a better follower of Christ? Watch your life light up. You start being vulnerable with people and say, you know what? I'm struggling with this sin in my life. Can you help me? Can you walk alongside of me? Can we connect weekly or monthly or whatever kind of frequency ever and start walking in that? Do you know what kind of exciting place that will be? We're in one of the loneliest cities in America. You start being a friend to somebody and start saying, you know what? I'm a follower of Jesus. I have this wonderful community that's coming together to encourage you. You start responding that way. You watch this place light up. You watch your life light up. You watch Shoreline in Seattle light up as everybody believers, every church scattered around starts engaging that way, putting into it, sowing seed into it, and seeing how God will flow out of that. It will be a changed life, and you'll be a changed life. No one will be more excited than you will. Sometimes we look at new Christians and go, man, they are lit up on fire for God, and God's saying, that can be you. You can be a fire starter. You start pouring into them. I'm more excited just talking about it. But things light me up when I see that happening. The more I give into it, because you can never outgive God. The way that God works is the more that you empty yourself, and there's times you're going to walk, and you're going to be exhausted. Have you ever been exhausted? Where you're giving, and you're giving, you're giving. But I promise you, every time God's going to come in, and he's going to refill, and going to refill, and going to refill, either in relationships, or resources, or opportunities, or whatever it is. That's how God works. But I need to empty myself because sometimes in emptying myself, I don't just give what I want to give, but some of the stuff that needs to leave, leave. Have you ever done that? You start cleaning your house. You go, hey, I'm trying to find like a, this baseball mitt to give this kid who needs a baseball mitt. And along the way, I'm going, I got a lot of stuff here to get rid of. There's nothing like a clean house that's just totally just stuff's going through it and getting out. But it's hard, isn't it? Especially when you have kids. They keep bringing stuff home. But you got to, it's this vessel that you allow the Lord to flow through you. And it's an amazing thing. This is what Paul's talking about. What we plant, we get out. And he's saying that not only what we plant, having, the, having a quality, the more you put in, the more you get out, having the high quality seed, God's seed, we're planting God's seed, but also how we plant, because he says what? God loves a cheerful giver. If you're not cheerful in this, don't give. I'm not here to pressure you. This is God's, not mine. This church is God's, it's not mine. He's placed me as pastor to lead it and to encourage and to love and to serve. But this is all the Lord's. It is a cheerful act of giving. Because how we give affects the gift. When you walk up to somebody and you go, man, here's 20 bucks. I just want to bless you. I just know that you've got it, and I'm happy for you to have it. That empowers that gift and enables that gift to be used for however it's meant to be given. But you walk up and you give someone 20 bucks, you go, now I'm going to watch you. I'm going to make sure that you spend it right and that you do it right, and you start following around and start giving strings on it. What kind of gift is that? It's a terrible gift. I'm like, man, keep your 20 bucks. That's not how we live. I'm not saying there's not responsibility in giving, But what I am saying is that we give cheerfully unto the Lord. We give cheerfully. Do you love your kids and raise them and honor them, even though sometimes they don't obey everything that you say? You didn't obey me yesterday, so you're not getting breakfast this morning. (laughs) Eat rocks. 
My sister used to say, go outside and throw rocks at yourself, you know. Um, that's not what we do. That's not godly. When Jesus was with, was with the 5,000, who did he feed? He fed everybody. He fed everybody. Did they all become his disciples? We don't see evidence that they did. This is the act of giving in us. It's not with the strings attached. Because, see, giving is not for God's benefit. Giving is for our benefit. Because, again, let me say it again. God's not after your possessions and your stuff. You see in Scripture, moths are going to eat it. Apples are going to rot. All this stuff is going to go away. The kingdom of God lasts forever. He's not after your possessions. Those are temporal. He's after the thing that is eternal, which is your soul. He's after your life. He's after your soul. And this is a reflection of it. This is a reflection of who God is. Everything that God does is for our benefit. And that's overwhelming to think about, that everything God does is for my benefit, your benefit. Everything. Who else does that? Everything is for our benefit. One of the classes that we teach here on Wednesday nights is called Financial Peace University. Shout out for Financial Peace University. Yeah, because this is one of the things that has rocked our land. Debt is at an all-time high in America. We are so consumer-driven, and we struggle with trying, how do we get out of debt? How do we manage our resources? A wonderful class meets on Wednesday night. But the author of this, Dave Ramsey, he says it this way. He says, the tithe was not put into place for God's benefit. He already has everything he needs. He doesn't need our money, and our money is already his anyway. But tithing is an act of obedience. It teaches us how to keep God first in our lives and how to live unselfishly. Unselfish people, they make better spouses, they make better friends, they make better relatives, better employees, and better employers. And research shows that they usually have better finances because they're giving. They're giving. Selfishness is cleansed often through this. And Paul even said that giving reveals often the sincerity of people's love for God. It was actually one of his tests. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8, he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. See, he was looking at the Macedonian church, and he was saying, that's a church that is poorer than you are. But yet they outgive. They outgive and they outgive. And we see this in so many foreign countries, so many third world countries where people who have nothing and they come and they give everything unto God. They say, God is yours. Whatever I have is yours. And the work of God grows in that. And you see the gospel going forth and you see their lives being changed because it's this response of God, it's yours. This is yours, my life is yours. See, everything we do is a reflection of God Jesus said what? The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is in us gives out. That's why giving is an act of worship. Because it reveals what possesses our hearts. One of the biggest fears that we have deals with finances. How many of you have ever been worried about paying a bill? Okay. There's a lot of fear wrapped up in this. So you're not going to hear any coercion from me today, but what I'm going to say to you is that everything begins with coming to God and just surrendering to him and saying, God, this is yours. Lead me. Stephanie and I, we, we've walked through some, some tough times. <laughs> but we've seen great miracles of God in that. 
as we place God first. There's times that we've tithed and we've been like, you know, we've got a medical bill. <laughs> there was one time that um, one of our kids had to go to be rushed to the emergency room, and the bill that we got back was astounding to us. We didn't tell anybody about it. We didn't post it to Facebook. We just prayed. And really, my prayer wasn't even that great. It wasn't like, oh, God, almighty creator of the universe, the great one. It was, it was just, you know, God, I need you. <laughs> my daughter's sick. She's brought in. I have this bill. I have no money. Please help. That was it. Okay? That prayer is not going to show up in a book anywhere. That next day, the exact amount showed up in cash in an unmarked envelope in our mailbox. We didn't tell anybody. That's happened several times. It may have happened with all of our kids. At different points in their life. We were without jobs at one point. My only job was a part-time job at Starbucks. Shout out to Starbucks. Okay? That's all I had. And I hadn't been there long enough to have any insurance yet. <laughs> we had a bill with another kid. And before we knew, we showed up to church, a church that I wasn't on staff at anymore. I was in between. And the pastor walked up and said, someone gave me this money, put an envelope, and said the Lord told him to give it to you. And we opened it up and we went, whoa. It was exactly. I think it was two pennies short, something like that. Two dollars short. So I got two dollars in tips from Starbucks, so... What I'm saying is that God continually reminds me, I, Dwayne, I, I, I've got it. Now, in those situations, it went right down to the wire. <laughs> I'd love to have it before. Here's all the ways, Dwayne, I'm going to provide you, but that doesn't require any faith. Faith is saying, God tells me to step here, and I step out. And when my foot comes down, it's there. And then I grow, and I grow, and I grow. And that has enabled me, and that's brought growth in my life to step in so many areas, steps that I would not be able to take. Now, am I the greatest man of faith in the world? No, but I'm a lot better than I used to be. It's God's work growing and developing in me because this is what God is out for. And this is our only hope as a body of Christ. Our only hope is to behave this way. See, so much of what we read, it makes sense. It's intellectual, and we're to worship the Lord with our mind and to use our mind. But until we move from just being in the stands to being active in the field, there's no hope for our world. There's no hope for the world through us. Now God's will will go forth, his kingdom will build, but it'll be without me because I don't have the faith for it. God's calling me to move forward in faith. See, we're not to be consumers that we're just standing around and Jesus, as long as you, you keep changing those rocks into bread, as long as you keep using, changing that water into wine, and as start as you keep multiplying the fish and the bread that I'm in, that's not a disciple. That's a consumer. How many of you love consumers in, in, in your life where they're only there just to take, 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 take? See, family doesn't do that. Family contributes. Family comes in and says, how can I help? How can I be there? How can I be a part of it? See, discipleship is about, it's about counting the cost and surrendering to Jesus. But sometimes we fail in this because we compartmentalize our faith. This is our biggest temptation. We want to compartmentalize our faith, don't we? Right? This is my faith. This is my finances. This is my faith. 
This is my relationships. This is my faith. This is how I live. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is this is my faith. It is in me. It is alive in me. It is active in me. It leads every part of me. Because the more you follow God, the more he's going to start putting fingers on your life. Not to condemn you or not to shame you. That's what Satan does. Satan shames. God says, this is killing you. This is bad for you. Let me pull you out of that. Let me deliver you from that. How many of you have ever been delivered in your life? You've experienced that. That's what God does. But sometimes we compartmentalize it. But see, a compartmentalized faith, it reveals a lack of surrender. That's why a compartmentalized faith, it is no faith. If you've compartmentalized your faith, you, you don't have faith. You're saying, God, I trust you here, but I don't trust you here. I trust you over here. I'll take all the grace I can get, but if you're going to start telling me how to live, then forget about it. That's not what faith is. We walk by faith. We live by faith. We're encouraged by faith. This is how Jesus addressed the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees were guilty of compartmentalization. In Matthew 23, he says to this, this is one of the seven woes. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Because see, for some, they'll say, yeah, man, I tithe. Here's my 10%. But they forgot justice and mercy. Because when we talk about giving, we're not just talking about money. We're not just talking about finances. That's one of it, and that's often one of the biggest things that consumes us. But Jesus was addressing them, saying, you've, you've tithed, but you're not giving over here. Because what does God own? All. He owns all of it. What Jesus was saying to them is, yes, tithe, that's good that you're tithing, but you need to also be giving justice and mercy. You fail in these things. Because when we just do one and not the other, it negates and it becomes contaminant to the culture that we're in. We're called to be people of justice. We're called to be people of mercy. We're called to be people that generously give. Generously give. We don't get to pick and choose which chapters of discipleship we fall in. Jesus said, I'm going to transform you. It only takes a little bit to pollute. Surrender it all. This is the response. It's a response of surrender and saying, Jesus, I am yours. Jesus, I am yours. Give me that right perspective. Give me that right response to you. And then this brings us down to to the very end today, which is the right place. The right place. How do we give and where do we give? We give in a lot of ways, but I'm going to address one of the biggest areas that we often struggle with, and that's giving to the church. Is the church one of the biggest areas that we often struggle with? Yeah. You know, when when your kid gets their first job or everything and you know, for us, we, we look at them and managing it and say, all right, now, you know, how we handle this is the first 10% goes to God. I remember when my dad told me that, and I was like, 10%? That's 25 cents. <laughs> it was a big, big paradigm shift for me. And I was like, why do we do that? Why are we giving there? Is giving to the church given to God? Have you ever thought that? Is given to the church, given to God. Why are we doing that? Why should we even give to the local church? Why is that one of the places that we should give? See, this comes down very simply, that the church was Jesus' idea. What did Jesus say? 
He said, I will build my church. He said, I will build my church. And here's why. The local church is the local representation of and an invitation to the experience of Jesus Christ. His grace, his mercy flowing through us. This is why I'm here. If I didn't think this is what Jesus wanted or what God wanted, I would not be here. Why would you give your life to something that wasn't about what God wanted? That's why I'm here. That's why I love Shoreline Community Church. It has a long history, over 75 years, of faithfully giving and serving. Started off with being a Sunday school out here when it was nothing but trees. There was nothing out here. And it's grown into this wonderful expression. See, when the local church is working right, there's nothing like it. That's why the Apostle Paul and so many others, they fought for it and they died for it. Because the local church, when I say church, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the body of Christ coming together, assembling. Because when we are healthy, when we are surrendered to God, we are going to want to assemble and to be together. This is why in countries all over the world, some of the most persecuted Christians, those that live in a country where to follow Christ means that they could go to jail or they could be killed for their faith, what do they do? They look for opportunities to get together. This has happened internationally. China tried to kill it, and they couldn't kill it. They went through years of just trying to suppress. So many terrible things happened on it. And what they found, they thought that they had been successful in suppressing it, And then when they lifted it up to see what was going on, know what they found? That they didn't kill it. It actually grew stronger and stronger. And that more than ever, there were more Christians in China. They were saying, no matter what you do, I will follow Christ. I will serve Christ. Take my job. Take my life. But I will die for Christ. And because I'm a follower of Christ, I need to gather together. I need encouragement. I need you. Personally, I need you. I need all of you encouraging me, speaking to me, at times correcting me. This is what the body of Christ does. We need each other. I need children. I need senior citizens. I need people my age. Every spectrum. We need each other. We need each other. See, we talk about gathering and scattered, right? We gather and we scatter. We gather and we scatter. But if we don't gather well, there's nothing to scatter. If we don't gather well as the body of Christ, there's nothing to scatter. And it will also even be confusing. Because we're family. We are family. All my brothers, sisters, and me. This is who we are. Because see, as goes the local church, so goes the spiritual health of a region. And this has been proven time and time again. Stats now have begun to come out that those who separate themselves from the local church, from the body of Christ... They end up falling away from God and being confused about who God is. See, we're all members of the body of Christ. Can the hand survive if you cut it off? No. Can your little toe survive if it leaves? No. And not only that, if the big toe decides to get up and to leave, I can't walk anymore. I have to relearn. We need each other. See, the local church, it initiates, it develops, it sustains ministry both locally and globally. This is the New Testament model. When people came to Christ, they immediately began to build a local church. They immediately began to build that local manifestation, that expression of who Jesus is, because we need it. This is where we learn, this is where we grow. The Great Commission is achieved through the local church, through the missionaries that we send both locally and globally. 
And see, giving is a reflection of what we believe this place to be. Here's what it says in Acts, and this is from the message. In the book of Acts, it says, the whole congregation of believers was united as one, one heart, one mind. They didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. No one ever said, that's mine, you can't have it. They shared everything. The apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of the master Jesus. And grace, what we talked about last week, was on all of them. See, giving, it reflects a family connection. When you give, you recognize this is my home, this is my family, these are my brothers, and these are my sisters. See, every family member contributes. When you have a family member that can contribute and doesn't, that person starts walking in dysfunction. When it's your family and you walk by and you see a mess on the floor, you go, this is my house, I'm going to clean it up. When you see dishes that are dirty, you step in to help them. This is what we teach our children, don't we? When our kids, when there's a mess, hey, Dad, I saw a mess. Awesome. Clean it up. Hey, Dad, the trash is full. Awesome. The Lord brought that to you so that you could bring it out. (laughs) He did. When God reveals something to you, you see a need, what do you do? This happens in justice and mercy. You start walking through, and you see something being done wrong. Do you think it's by accident that you saw it? No. Do you ignore it? No. Now, you, you will probably need help in answering it, but you go, you know what? I saw this, and I've had people do that since I've come here. Hey, we've, we, we've seen this. How can we respond to this? But we respond. We figure it out. We talk to other people in the body of Christ and say, hey, how can we help in this area? That's why this church has built orphanages and schools all around. That's why we faithfully give to organizations like Union Gospel Mission who are right downtown trying to help down and out on the streets, nothing to eat, nowhere to live. This is why we send people all over the world, locally and abroad. Because we see it, and as family members, we respond to it. Now again, if you're a guest today, you're our our guest. Be our guest, be our guest. Have more coffee, and then rest, whatever. Have some more. You're our guest. But family members don't behave that way. Family members are the one going, hey, here's some coffee. Let me help you. You're going through a hard time? Let's get together. If you need something, let's, let's figure out how we can make that need. We have a benevolence fund where people come in and go, I'm going through a hard time. And you're going to hear more about that at our annual celebration. But we can do more. If every family member would, would say, God, you've called me here. This is my place. This is the body of Christ. Now show me how to give cheerfully. This is not coercion. This is an invitation to participate in the kingdom of God. And it's our giving. And let me encourage you. Today, as I've talked about giving, and maybe this has offended you a little bit, maybe that's been hard. When we're offended by someone talking about giving, we're behaving like a guest, not a family member. And if you're a guest, we welcome you. <laughs> but the invitation is to be a part of the family. 
We need to grow this family. We need to build this family because there's a city that's hurting. We need to be strengthened. There are gifts that are yet to be realized in this church, reaching out. So many dreams, so many ideas of reaching our community. As we bring the Lord, whether it's it's our tithes and our offerings. And then with that, giving to missions, locally and abroad. Looking and saying, you know what, here's what I love to do. Can I do that here? I love to tutor and teach. Can I do that here? I have giftings in these areas. Can I do that here? Can I do this through here? Now, we do that everywhere that we go, but we also do it for the family. I had a family member one time who was, a, who was great at building. He helped me build something for my family. We do that, don't we? One of my gifts is coffee, so when people come to my house, I make them a free latte with latte art. may not be much, but it's something I can do. Because why? We give the family. If I can help you, I will. As it's in my power to do it, I will do it. Lord, flow through me. The invitation today is to move deeper in family. I will never coerce you because God wants it done cheerfully because it's not about God. It's about you. This is about you. This is about us saying, God, everything is yours. Everything is yours. Could we stand today? And as we respond to this, in your listening guide, there's a couple of questions. And these are questions for you just to ask the Lord. And one of those questions is, ask the Lord, you know, God, am I a guest here today or am I a family member? And we do have guests. Welcome. <laughs> but if you've been here for a long time, you need to ask yourself, am I a guest or am I, am I part of the family? Am I engaging in the family? Am I letting other people wash all the dishes, wash my dishes? Am I happy to see other people pay for the lights and pay for the heat during Snowmageddon? My guests are my family member. But ask this too, where am I challenged as it relates to giving? And where am I being distracted? Has the enemy put some red herrings out there to distract you, to send you down a wrong path? Is there anger, is there resentment, is there hurt that you need to deal with? Have you been taken advantage of before? You need to deal with that. And walk in righteousness with God. Don't allow the enemy to seal those up and to harden it and put calluses on it, but allow the Lord to speak healing to that. And then what is God asking me to do in response to his word today? What is God asking us to respond in obedience? And as we respond, communion is here. Okay? I didn't put offering plates across the altar. I didn't (laughs) do anything like that. This, this is about, about our heart today. Gather around. Receive the broken body of Christ. Receive the healing for the places that you need. If you're struggling with surrender, this is your opportunity to surrender to God. We have people around the sides who would love to pray for you. Pray with them and say, you know, I'm here to surrender. I want to surrender my life to Christ. Maybe you've been following the Lord for a while and God's revealed to you some areas that you need to surrender. Go pray with somebody. You want want to strengthen that? Speak it out. Pray with me in this. Or turn to the person next to you and talk about it. Pray about it. But let's respond in some way.